0: In For A Penny Podcast, take one. Episode one,
1: take one. Hello, and welcome to the In For A Penny Podcast. I'm Mark Shoffman, a freelance journalist, and I'm here with my financial advisor friend, Joshua Gersler. Hello, good morning. Well, I don't know if we should say good morning, because I don't know when people will be listening. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, or whenever you are listening. So each episode we're aiming to give our perspective on the world of business and money. We're going to start off with some issues that we've come across when running our own businesses. Then we're going to try and shed some light on industry jargon in our alien concepts section before finishing up with a finance topic that we've come across recently. We hope that you'll learn something new from our podcast as well as having some fun along the way too.
0: So well, you've got your office, uh, you've got a Christmas party tonight. I do.
1: So, go where are you going? We are going to Chantyod Golf. What's that? I haven't heard of it. Uh place in Shoreditch. Yeah. In the big smoke in... You can tour. You don't have to record Keep that bit. bit. No, no, but i just started again. So, it's a place in Shoreditch. Yeah. In the big smoke in London. But it's still getting the train. <laughs> it's a place... It's really hard to record in a bedroom because anything can happen. You have birds flying can into... You told me these. this was your office. was <laughs> <laughs> spoiling the illusion of podcasting. Most podcasts... I reckon people just do, do in there. This isn't a bedroom. Where's the bed? You're right. This is a safer bed Just sitting on. Okay. Yeah. If a podcast goes well, you never know. <laughs> okay. So what were we talking about? Christmas party. So I'm going to a Christmas party in Shoreditch in London. Yeah. At um, Junk Guard Golf, which is a mini golf, indoor mini golf centre. Okay, that sounds Other good. Other mini golf centres are available. We went one. to one called, we went for our office... Swingers. At, yes. Yeah. Yeah, have you heard of that? I have heard of that. We were going to go there, but it was booked.
0: Ah, that's a shame, because when um, someone in the office suggested it, I, I must admit, I was a bit worried at first when they said, shall we go to Swingers?
1: Yeah, I imagine.
0: Um, I thought, it's probably not the right thing to do
1: without my wife. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. But there's, not, there's no swinging. No, well, you have a little swing, but with the golf club. With a golf club. Yeah. Okay.
0: Did you score? It was great fun. We went. It was probably the same as yours. In, in indoor
1: crazy golf. Indoor crazy. Oh, yeah, golf. a good time. There's a, you have a few drinks. You have something to eat. It was. It was good fun. What do you think about Christmas parties? Because you're sort of as a staff member, you're yeah. a boss, so you probably don't appreciate this. But as a staff member, you're compelled to spend an evening with work colleagues who you may not usually choose to go out with.
0: Yeah, we do um, Christmas party, Christmas evening, whatever you want to call it in our in our office. Um, I think it's just a nice um, way to thank the team for their hard work during the year. So, I don't know, maybe they don't enjoy it, maybe they think they've got to spend an evening with me, which, as you know, isn't the most fun thing to do. I uh, No, alcohol probably helps. Yeah, probably. Um, I enjoy it, I think it's uh, it's a bit of fun. Although, looking back to my previous job, um, yeah, I wasn't that excited by our Christmas parties.
1: What What's your best Christmas party been?
0: My best Christmas party. Probably last year at at, uh, at the orchard practice, we went to um, the Crystal Maze. Wow. So we did the Crystal Maze and then we went out for a nice
1: meal afterwards. Lovely. I I thought that was good fun. Should people have to pay for themselves on a Christmas party? No, definitely not. So you, what, pay. Have, you got to, have you got to pay for yours? Well, I will run my own company, so I have to pay for myself. Oh, but no, but I, th- I am going to one with another company that I don't have to pay for. Them. Sorry, you're, you're Junkyard Golf. You That's have... not me, you're right. That's yeah. I'm going with another publication that I work for. Okay. And hopefully i will pay. Yeah. Um, I'll update you if they don't, but I know they are going to pay. I'm yeah. sure it will be a lovely evening. And definitely the company should pay for their team. What if you're out, though, and the person running the Christmas party decides um you can only have two drinks two drink limit but then you need you're like a four drink person before you get comfortable well i think i think well i mean
0: firstly i don't think anyone should have to drink to be comfortable that's true as well yeah. sorry about that <laughs> um but no, yeah, know if if um if you want to have a few extra drinks then your boss should pay for it doesn't mean you take the mick yeah but what's uh, the limit i haven't set a limit if people want to have few drinks, have a few drinks. I don't think anyone in my office is going to be drinking 20 drinks. I'll probably have one and then I'll be on the floor. Just a lemonade? Well, I'll probably have a a beer or a glass of wine and then I'll be on the floor. What type of party are you having?
1: (laughs) Just because I'm not a big drinker, Mark. I see. What's the view on, on people getting drunk at a Christmas party? Before I started work,
0: I'd always seen stories about people getting drunk, throwing up getting up to no good in the corner on the photocopier. I've never seen any of that. Maybe I'm going to the, the, wrong, the wrong parties. parties yeah but should people get you, Do you have staff members who get drunk, mate? Um, no, I've never really had problems.
1: People, you need more exciting stuff? You're probably right. Yeah, we're, we're, we're in finance. We're not that exciting. Yeah. This is a section I'm dubbing a penny for your thoughts, where we're going to discuss some of the social issues... That come up in the world of work and general life. Okay, sounds good. So, um, I'm gonna suggest a theme to you and I'm gonna just wanna see what you you think. I'm gonna pick your brains, a penny for your thoughts, almost literally. So, for this episode, I want to discuss business meetings. Okay. So, you're a financial advisor. I am. You probably have um, a few meetings. I do, are you? Quite regularly. Yeah. Um, What's your policy on handshakes? I allow them. Like my good. policies. I allow handshakes. What, what is a good handshake? Firm, yeah, but not too long. Okay, because sometimes I find it can be a bit of competition as to who lets go first or who. And if you, I sort of think feel like if you let go too quick, it's like you're not dominant enough and not confident. And if you hold on for too long, maybe you don't know what you're doing um my feelings on handshakes get in get out <laughs> is that just handshakes or anything else? that's just handshakes mark okay what about because sometimes i find you can have you ever over gripped on a handshake and you're going for the, the palm that you end up on someone's wrist <laughs> um i've had the opposite where they've gripped too quickly and they've just grabbed the end of your fingers <laughs> a bit like this this is great... No, that's not, that does hurt and you end up squeezing their fingers. Yeah, it's a bit uncomfortable break when someone fingers. does that to you. Yeah. What do you do in that situation? You just have to carry on shaking. Yeah. You've got to just play it out. And, okay, so we've done handshakes. What about um, kissing? I mean, I like you as a friend. <laughs> I've been in some meetings where, uh, if there's a man and a woman, um, they'll go in for a kiss on the cheek, even if it's someone we've just met. Is that too much? Um, I think it depends on
0: your background, but I now have a blanket rule of... You take blankets to meeting. (laughs) I I don't take blankets to meeting. I have a blanket rule, it's a handshake for the man and a handshake for the woman. Equal rights nowadays. That's good. Not a kiss for a man and a kiss for a woman. No, I mean, that would be equal rights as well, but I go for the handshake for everyone. What if you're there, but um, the woman leans in for a kiss on the cheek? Well, it'd be rude to... To say no thank you, madam. So, yeah, I'm happy with a kiss on the cheek. Although you've got to be careful because sometimes you go in for one kiss and the lady goes in for two kisses and you don't realise. So you've gone in for the kiss. She's gone for the second one. You've bashed heads. It can all get very awkward, Mark.
1: It can. OK, so you've done your handshaking. You're in the room. You're in your meeting. You sit down yeah. at your desk. Where are your hands? My hands
0: are usually on the, holding a pen... Uh, writing notes
1: in my notepad because I sometimes get a bit nervous in meetings and I'm doing it now so I'll sort of fiddle with my hands yeah. Uh, so I sometimes put them under the desk don't be but, nervous in front of my I'm heart. sorry yeah it's very yeah. so I sometimes wonder if that is if it's distracting if I'm fiddling with my hands and someone can see it so it's under the desk but then I think well they probably wonder what I'm doing with my hands under there I think you've got to have your
0: hands on top of the desk so people can see them at all the time so there can be no misunderstandings as to what you're doing under that desk
1: what's your view on snacks in a meeting well, in my
0: office, we have snacks on the table. So when clients come in for meetings, there's a little bowl with sweets and chocolates in. I get hungry. You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm a grown boy, so I find I get hungry
1: in meetings. So I'm quite happy with snacks in meetings. Well, what's your thoughts? I think it's because I, I go to a lot of sort of breakfast or lunch meetings. Yeah. And you'll come in and you'll sit down and, and they'll have trays set out with sandwiches and biscuits. But people are often quite shy to be the first one. You're not shy though, are you? Well, I sometimes, I'll look around and sometimes you feel like you have to wait until the person who's leading it starts eating. Okay. But then it's also hard because you want to ask questions. And if you've got a mouthful of a croissant, your questions don't quite come across as they should. I remember the first time I got invited to a breakfast
0: meeting was by, um, it must have been about five, five, ten years ago, by a client. Very wealthy guy. And he said, shall we meet for breakfast? And I was, I was all excited about it. So I didn't have any breakfast at home because I didn't want to not eat breakfast in the meeting. We sat down for the, uh, the breakfast meeting in the restaurant, and he ordered first, and he said, I'll, I'll just have a coffee. And I thought, well, what do I do here? I'm absolutely starving, yeah. but I can't order a full English breakfast. No. Well, one, because I don't eat non-kosher meat. Good. But two, because um, he's not eating. So I ended up just having a hot drink as well, and I couldn't concentrate the whole meeting. I was starving. So I learnt my lesson. Nowadays, before a breakfast meeting, just have a tiny snack. Tiny snack, if yeah. you've got a
1: recommendation for the type you, of snack. You could have a little bit of toast or something, anything to get you through. And that was our first penny for your thoughts. That sound effect means it's time for this episode's alien concept. OK. So what I want to do, Josh, is discuss a piece of business or financial <laughs> jargon that I come across in my daily workings as a personal finance journalist. Yeah. And... I want to kind of discuss what it means and why, why it's a bit confusing and how it can be simplified. So, I'm going to pass you this piece of paper. Okay. I want you to read out this episode's alien concept. Oh, this is exciting. Excited. This is exciting. Okay. Let's open this up. Open it. Income drawdown. Interesting. So interesting. I surprised, but I did write it. So, income drawdown, yeah. from my understanding, is a process of taking money from your pension and leaving some of it invested at the same time but the phrase income drawdown i don't think reflects that because it doesn't mention the word pension and it uses both the word income and drawdown which both seem to mean the same thing so what's the point what's the point or what does it mean what does it mean okay well income drawdown
0: doesn't just have to be relating to a pension because you could draw an income from any investment that you have but so i think the key is What's the goal? What's the idea of it? And let's talk about a pension. Back in the day, so before the, the rules changed about three years ago, when you got to retirement age, you had to take what was called an annuity. And maybe we'll save that jargon buster for another day. Oh, yeah. Nowadays, you have flexibility as to how you access the money in your pension. So income drawdown simply means you can take the money out of your pension as and when you want it. Okay. Do you want more? I do want more. Okay. So, if you had a million pounds in your pension, you could say to me today, I'd like to take all of that out in one go. So, we contact the pension provider and we make a drawdown or a withdrawal from your pension. See, wouldn't withdrawal be better? Why why is it drawdown? That just sounds unfamiliar. I think that's just the finance industry. They like to put in complicated words to confuse people and alienate people. Um, withdrawal would be easier for people to understand. When we discuss it with clients, we'll say a withdrawal from your pension
1: mm-hmm. or an
0: income from your pension. So if you have a million pounds in your pension, you could take it all in one go today, then you'd have nothing left. You could set it up to take a equal amount each year. So you could say, I would like to take £50,000 per year. Now, the danger of drawdown from a pension is that the value of your pension runs out, the money in your pension runs out. That could happen if you decide to take more money than is in there, not more money that's in there, if you decide that you want to take um, too much of the pot. So if you are 60 years old and you expect to live for another 30 years, Mm. if you were taking £50,000 a year, and if there was zero growth in your pension, then you'd only have 20 years worth of money. So for the last 10 years of your life, you'd have no money. Yeah. So that's the risk. Um, another risk is that the pension doesn't grow enough. So you leave it invested, and you hope that it will grow by more than the money
1: you're taking out. Mm-hmm. Do you think we, the financial industry uses these terms at a time when people... Um, are a bit older, and maybe maybe I... This is this going to sound disparaging? It may sound disparaging to say, but a lot of people, when they're kind of accessing their pension, may be a bit older, a bit more confused, may find it a bit harder to understand things. So if you're, like, in your 70s or 80s, and then they come across a phrase like income drawdown, are they likely to get a bit perplexed? Um, I think it depends on
0: how they go about things. So if they just receive a letter in the post from their pension provider, I think they probably would feel a bit perplexed. If they call up their pension provider, then perhaps someone on the end of the phone can explain it to them in more detail. Or if they have a financial advisor, hopefully they can explain it to them in plain English. But now I find nowadays people are a bit are getting into finance younger. People are a bit more savvy nowadays, so we've got clients ranging from age 18 up to, I think my oldest client is in her 90s. Wow. Um, so I think the younger people get into finance, the easier it is to understand things and the more knowledgeable and better planned they will be. When should people start thinking about their pension? Their pension? Um, as soon as they start work, when they get the first job. At 18? Eight, 16, 18, whatever age it is someone works, they should start thinking about the future. And interesting that you use the word pension because I think pension is just one tool to to help people in retirement. When you say pension, you are referring to a traditional pension. Mm -hmm. Whereas people may have various different uh, assets and tax wrappers to help them in retirement. It could be they've got money in the bank. It could be they've got property, ISAs. It could be various different things. Pension is just one tool
1: to help with a long-term financial plan. So, once you've chosen those tools and you're in the process of saving for your retirement, when should you start thinking about income drawdown? When should you start thinking about it? So, are we talking about if I start with
0: an 18-year-old? Yes. I think that's too early to start thinking about income drawdown. You're accumulating your wealth at at that point. If you've got a proper financial plan, so with our clients, we'll create financial plans for, if it's an 18-year-old, we'll create it for... 88 years. If it's a 50-year-old, we'll create a 50-year plan. If you've got a financial plan, then you will know at what point you want to access your money or be financially independent, and you'll know how you're going to access that money. So, um, how old are you, Mark? I am 35. Okay. You don't look it. Thank you. A lot older. Yeah, so you will have a financial plan. And you should know, or your financial advisor will know, when he anticipates you having to either draw down on your pension or your other assets or whatever it may be.
1: So as long as your financial advisor knows?
0: No, I think it's important that you you know as well. Yes, you can rely on your financial advisor, but a good financial advisor will hopefully, when you sit down with them, educate you so you can see what's going on as well.
1: And what do you see among your clients The split between those going for an annuity or income
0: drawdown? Very few of our clients at the moment are taking annuities because the rates on offer are so low. And again, I think that might be a bit too complex for your average uh, listener in terms of rates and annuities, and we can talk about that another day. Most of our clients are using
1: drawdown for their retirement. When they were building their pension yeah. or retirement savings, yeah. Were they? did they have the idea in their head that they would have... When they retire, that they would have an annuity, or were they aware that there was this other option?
0: Well, I think I think most older um, clients would have thought that they they would have they would be taking an annuity. The reason being, the the drawdown for mainstream only came into effect about three years ago. I think it was two thousand and fifteen. So most people would have assumed that they're going to have an annuity at retirement, a guaranteed income for life. But again, if you are in contact with your financial advisor or financial planner, they would have discussed with you changes in legislation and the different ways that you can access your pension when you get to retirement age.
1: And that was this episode's Alien Concept. And now to serious matters. Okay. And I thought that was serious. More serious. Okay. um, I'm going to let you suggest a um, financial planning issue. Okay. Would you like to talk about a... Meeting
0: I had with some clients yesterday. I'd love to. Okay, no names because everything's confidential, but this meeting was about um, equity release.
1: Have okay, that? remind me.
0: Okay, equity release is when you take out some of the value in your home, so releasing equity in your home. And these clients came to see me. Um, not because of that, they came to do some general financial planning, but part of the, the, um, their plan is to gift each of their children, or both of their children, £300,000 each. And they have a property in London worth £1.8 million, with no mortgage on it. And they want to use some of that money in the property to give to their children before they die. And the, and the the wife, the lady, used a very uh, good phrase. She says, I want to give the money to my children with a warm hand rather than a cold hand. Nice.
1: Well, not yeah, not <laughs> nice if she's dead, but like nice that she's doing it, but she means when she's alive, yeah? <laughs> yes, that's exactly okay. what she means. Yes. Um, so, should we talk a little bit about equity release? Let me know, because when I've written yeah. about equity release in the past and a lot of the... Feedback you get is that it's expensive yeah. and that it can be risky.
0: Correct, yeah. So over the years, equity release has had a lot of bad press. Um, not, not all me. No, not just from you. And the last maybe few years, five years, it, it's, it's changed its image around and it's actually much more regulated and professional. Um, so these clients yesterday are going to have what's called a lifetime mortgage which as it says, is a mortgage for their lifetime. So they're given some money now, this £600,000. An interest rate is charged on this money and they're going to be paying something like 4.5%. Okay, There are cheaper deals and there are more expensive deals but this is the best one for them. They don't actually pay this interest though on the mortgage. The money or the, the interest payments are added to the money they owe. So. For example, uh, I'll use some round numbers to make it easy because I'm a bit simple. They borrow £600,000. Mm-hmm. If the interest rate was 10%, that would mean they'd have to pay £60,000 each year in interest. They don't pay that. That's added to their mortgage. So at the end of year one, they owe the mortgage lender
1: £660,000. Yep. But when, do they repay that after that year or then what happens?
0: Well, it's up to them when they repay this mortgage. The idea is that it's a lifetime mortgage. okay? So the idea is they never pay it back. The the debt increases each year, and that's one of the big risks of equity release. The debt increases each year, and upon their death, upon the second death, so the last to die, the mortgage lender will receive payment back.
1: But how does that work then? Because obviously this, the kids... aren't going to have £660,000 or whatever in their pocket just to hand over. So how do do they physically repay that?
0: So the... Well, if they don't have £660,000 in their pocket, which they probably won't do, they would
1: have to sell the home and use that to clear the debt. What if the home isn't worth the amount that's owed?
0: Well, the... Mortgage lenders have a way to calculate how much you can borrow, based on your life expectancy, the property and cert- the value of the property in certain things. So they will calculate that um, and hope that there will be enough equity left in the property upon the second death. They have a rule, which is one of the reasons why the industry is, is now a bit cleaner uh, and known.